Is it just me, or does it seem like for the last several weeks we've been under a steady barrage of bad news? I mean, globally we're hearing sad stories of violence and unrest in places like Myanmar and Haiti. We've heard in the news recently of mass shootings and targeted violence. This past week, every single day, we've heard heart-wrenching testimony at the trial for the man accused of murdering George Floyd last summer. Troubling testimony, heartbreaking things that we're hearing. And here at home in Canada, the bad news rolls on as well. I mean, we've had stories of rising case counts around the coronavirus, and we're being told that our hospital ICUs are filling up. And as I speak to you today, we are bracing ourselves for news of, well, news of yet another lockdown or more stringent lockdown measures that we'll have to contend with for the weeks to come. Bad news after bad news after bad news. It's like a, it's like a terrible layer cake, right? Bad news uh, with bad news over top of it and sprinkled with a little bit more of bad news. And of course, on top of all that, there's things that you're dealing with that will never make the news. Uh, we're dealing with the news of, in your life of setback and struggles. You've, you're, you're encountering losses in your life. It just seems to probably, for some of you, add insult to injury as we go from one bad report to another. Well, with all this barrage of bad news, I don't know about you, but I could really use some good news. Couldn't you? I mean, if you're like me and you feel the same way, like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for some good news, then listen, T-G-I-G-F. Thank God it's Good Friday. Because today I want to tell you the good news of Good Friday. Of course, today being Good Friday, this Good Friday service is we're joining with Christians all around the world to focus on and to remember what Jesus did for us on that first ever Good Friday when he died on the cross. Now, of course, you might hear that Good Friday and think of Jesus dying and say, well, how is that good? Why is it Good Friday? Well, it's not good because someone died, but it's good because of what Jesus accomplished in dying. It's, it's good. What's good is what God has done for us through Christ through his death on that first Good Friday. And as we understand the good news of Good Friday, we find out not only is it good news, it is very good news. And this is the news that I want to share with you today. In fact, I want to take you to a text of scripture that I think summarizes for us succinctly but powerfully the good news about what Jesus did for us on that Good Friday. And I'd like you to see it for yourself. So if you've got a Bible, would you... Turn with me, please, to the book of Colossians, chapter 2, and we're going to focus on verses 13 and 14. Okay, Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. The title, of my mes- the title of my message is Good News for Good Friday. And the book of Colossians is one in which Paul declares some incredibly good news. Now, in the context, just to sort of help us get our bearings here, it might be helpful for you to know that Paul was writing to some people who were dealing with a barrage, not of bad news, but of fake news. They were being told that, listen, there's some false teachers coming around these Christians and saying, listen, if you really want to get right with God, 
Jesus isn't enough. Okay, if you want to get right with God, if you want to be saved, like truly saved, if you really want to, to, to know life as it's meant to be lived, then you've got your work cut out for you. These false teachers were saying that there are certain religious rites that these Christians would have to practice. They were saying that there are certain things, certain experiences that they would have to have. They were saying that they needed special insight and special knowledge that the Christians needed to acquire. Really, the bottom line is that these false teachers are coming around with some fake news that went like this. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to save yourself. This was Paul exposed this fake news and reminded the believers about the good news, the good news of Jesus. And in our text, Paul reminds them the good news, reminds them about the good news of Good Friday, of what it is that Jesus accomplished for us when he died on the cross. And he reminds us of the all-sufficiency of Jesus. Really, you could summarize Paul's message with this little mathematic equation. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That was Paul's message to the Colossians, and it's summarized in our text. Look with me, please, at Colossians 2, beginning at verse 13. He tells them there, he says, And you, talking to these believers, he says, And you, who were dead, in your in our trespass sorry and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh god made alive together with him that is with jesus having forgiven all our trespasses so get what paul's saying here do you hear what he's saying he's saying you i'm talking to you you believers you christians you were dead that's some bad news, right? The, the bad news. But the, the good news is that it's in the past tense. You, you're not dead anymore. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God has, what has he done for you? God made you alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven all our trespasses. How did he do that? How did he forgive our trespasses? Paul says, verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what happened that first Good Friday. This is the good news of Good Friday. What is it? Well, Paul shows us that the good news of Good Friday is simply this. Through Jesus' death, we have life. We have life because of, through the death of Jesus, because of Jesus dying, you and I have forever living. Through Jesus' death, we have life. Did you, did you notice that emphasis in the text? You heard me emphasize it. Did you notice the emphasis in the text? Verse 13, he says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. He's made us alive. Now, you may not have known it at the time before you knew Jesus, but at that time, you were dead. You see, it's an important biblical principle for us to understand that without Jesus, we are dead. Without Jesus, we're dead. We're spiritually dead. We're, in, we're, we're dead in relation to God. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now, this expands for us uh, two ways in which we are dead. Our sin condemned us before God. 
and our sin excluded us from God. When he talks about us being dead in our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, he's reminding us, he's telling us that our sin condemned us before God and our sin excluded us from God, excluded us from him, separated us from him. That's what it means to be dead. Let me take those one at a time. Our sin condemned us before God. The Bible says, Romans 6 and 23 says that the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel, the prophet of old, he said, the soul that sins shall die. John, in his gospel, telling us the, the story about Jesus, said this. He said, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, the Son being Jesus. So whoever does not obey Jesus shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. In other words, that person's condemned. If they don't know Jesus, if they don't have Jesus, they stand condemned before God. Our sin condemns us before God. We were, Paul is saying here, at one time, you and I, we were dead people walking. It's been said that um, in places in the United States, in penitentiaries, where the death penalty is carried out, that sometimes it's been said that the guards will call out, dead man walking, as they walk the condemned prisoner to the execution place. What does that mean, dead man walking? He's, he's as good as dead. He's condemned. Jeremy Camp, the Christian uh, artist, Christian musician, wrote a song called Dead Man Walking, describing his pre-Christ existence. He said, I was a dead man walking until I was a man walking with you. That's, that's the reality that we faced. Only the fact is, is that probably most of us, for much of that pre-Christ existence we had, weren't even aware of it. But Paul says that that was your condition. He says you were you were you were dead. We were we were condemned. Notice he says he says um, um, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God has made us alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt. You see, Paul says there was a record of debt against us. We were condemned because we had a record. A record of, there was, and before God, God who knows everything, who sees everything, before him and, and in front of us was this record of debt. It's a record of everything we've ever done wrong. You know, the reality is that you and I have done a lot of things that are wrong. We may try to minimize it. We may try to avoid it. We may try to pretend that it isn't true, but it is. It's like, it's like whatever's out there on the internet and the internet about you is never going to go away, at least not until Jesus comes, right? It's a kind of a sad, tragic side of the internet that if, if you've messed up uh, and it's on the internet, which probably is if you messed up, then it's there. There's no getting rid of that. But a year ago, there's this tragic story that came out about a well-known, well-loved pastor who years earlier had run into some trouble. He had been fired and there was he was accused of uh, some shortcoming in his leadership. And around that firing, around that mess, all kinds of stuff was written about him and posted on the internet. And then a few years later, a friend of his said that it tore him up that anytime you'd look up his name on Google, anytime you Google search his name, what would come online, what would appear right away were stories of his failings. And he was, he was contending with just the tough, brutal reality in this world that if you mess up and people know about it and it gets on the internet, it's, it's there. And sadly and tragically, 
for reasons that maybe we'll never fully understand, that pastor died by suicide last May of 2020. I don't know how much of his guilt and regret and frustration played into the tragic event back in May of 2020, but the reality is is that you and I, in some ways, are no different than him, really, are we? Whether there's things on the internet about us or not, I don't know. I mean, I suppose you could Google yourself and find out. But the reality is that there's a far more serious issue that faces every man and woman in this world, and that is that, that we have done wrong. And it's not just the, the world that knows about it. It's not just the internet that knows about it. It's God who knows about it. In fact, it's, it's far worse than having stuff on the internet because, I mean, people, are, people may judge you, but people are just people. God is the judge. And he knows. And Paul said that Paul says at one time there was a record, you had a record, a record of debt. That's a record of every wrong thing you'd ever done that was known before God. And and not only that, it's I mean, God knows what you know, that people only know probably not even the half of it. Because God knows your intentions, He knows your thoughts, He knows the things you've said, He knows the things you've done, He knows all of it. Paul says. There was a record of debt that stood against us, that condemned us. If we were, this record is presented in the courtroom of heaven, we would stand condemned. Spurgeon says this about us, our condition. He said, our lives today are like the picture on the photographer's plate before he develops it. Now, this is obviously this illustration is a little dated, right? But remember, you know, the old days when you get your pictures developed? And that, that early rudimentary methods of, of uh, developing pictures involved, you know, soaking that, that page underwater, and, or not underwater, but under whatever fluid you'd use to develop it. And slowly, gradually, that picture would form on the page. You put in a blank page, you submerge it, and in short time, what comes out is an image. Spurgeon says our lives today are like that. They're like the picture on the photographer's plate before he develops it. God hath but to put the soul into a bath prepared according to his divine art and all the sins of his whole existence, that's of our whole existence, will stand out clear before the sinner's astonished gaze. In other words, we got a record. Whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, Paul says that there was a record of debt, verse 14, that stood against us with its legal demands. What are the legal demands? Well, the legal demands are for justice. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. See, the fact is we were made to know God and to love God, to, to honor God as God, but we haven't done that. Our sin, our sin condemns us before God. That's what it means to be dead. Without Jesus, we were dead. Our sin condemns us. Our sin condemned us before God. Our sin excluded us from God. That's, what he, that's, I think, what Paul means when he talks about the uncircumcision of our flesh. You notice that in verse 14? And you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus. That uncircumcision, what's he talking about there? Well, that Old Testament, uh, that Old Testament rite of circumcision was a sign in the Old Testament amongst the Jews, of belonging to God, of knowing him, of being his people. It was an identifying mark. When Paul talks about the uncircumcision of our flesh, he's talking about our whole person, not in relationship with God, all of us, us being without him. 
separated from him because of our sins, because of our trespasses. You see, the reality is, is that without Jesus, we were dead. Our sin condemned us before God. Our sin excluded us from God. We were dead. We were dead people walking. And the reality is, friends, is that this is humanity's biggest problem. This is our biggest problem. The, the biggest crisis that could ever face us is how can sinful people ever stand before a holy God? I know maybe today it doesn't feel like this is the biggest problem, depending on what you got going on. I mean, we got financial problems, personal problems, health problems, marriage problems, parenting problems, vehicle problems, financial debt problems. We got all kinds of problems, right? But when you read the Bible, you discover that far and away there's a greater problem still, and it's this problem of spiritual death. Without Jesus, we were dead. But what Paul declares to us here, is the good news of Good Friday. And that is that through Jesus, through his death, we have life. Without Jesus, we were dead. But with Jesus, we're made alive. We're made alive. He says, and you, verse 13, who were dead, past tense, talking to Christians, talking to believers, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. He made you alive He's given you life. God has worked through Christ in the believer a radical change. A change that is as radical as the transition from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. That while Jesus died on Good Friday, on Easter Sunday he arose. And that's what's happened to everyone who is in Jesus, who's trusting in Jesus, who has repented and believed on him. We were dead, but now God has made us alive with Jesus, we are made alive. Without Jesus, we were dead. You probably, probably didn't think we were dead at the time. In fact, many of you thought you had life. You thought you had a life, right? You were pursuing goals and you were trying to live out dreams. And you maybe carved out an identity for yourself. But it took you time before, by God's grace, you saw, you realized, you acknowledged that the life you were living wasn't really life. For some of you, you encountered the problem of guilt. And when you met Jesus, you found peace. For some of you, you, you realized that you were being oppressed by a merciless master. You see, you thought that you were pursuing freedom. You lived your life in order to be free. But you discovered that whatever it is that you live for other than Jesus is a merciless master. Because you found that you could never fully be satisfied. You could never fully achieve but when you found Jesus, when you got him, he satisfied you. And you learned that when you fail him, he would forgive you. You found mercy. For some of you, you, you had an identity that you carved out for yourself. But you came to realize that, that you put yourself under some impossibility. Just keeping up this identity that you'd chosen was something that you would you would be chasing like after the wind, something you could never fully achieve or live up to. But then you met Jesus, and you found out that in Jesus, you, you have an identity, not one that you achieve, but one that you receive. And you found your identity in Jesus, and you were brought from death to life. You've, you found out what it meant to live. You're learning what it means to be alive because you've met Jesus. You realize that you were dead. You found the Savior. 
and God has made you alive. That's what it is to be a Christian, is to be brought from death to life. Through Jesus' death, we have life. That's the point that Paul is making here. So you ask yourself, so what's the connection then? How is it that the death of Jesus gives us life? Or, or how is it that God performed this? How does God go about giving life to those who are spiritually dead? Well, Paul says that God has done this in three legal steps. First of all, he's forgiven us our sins. Second, he's canceled our debt. And third, he did all that by nailing it to the cross. Do you see that progression in our, in our scripture text? Again, verse 13, And you who were dead in the trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And this he set aside by nailing it to the cross. This is what Jesus did that first Good Friday. This is the good news of Good Friday. What has God done for us? How has God, how has God given us life through the death of Jesus? Well, Paul says, first, he's forgiven us our sins. You and I have sinned. We've sinned against people, but any sin we've committed is ultimately against God. And God has granted us a full and forever pardon through Christ. You know, when you forgive somebody, you're, you're not saying that the thing didn't happen. You're not saying it didn't matter. You're not saying it wasn't wrong. But what you're saying is, is that you no longer hold that offense over that person. And that's what God has done for us. He's forgiven us, Paul says. He says, uh, having, at the end of verse 13, sorry, he's made us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So we sinned. And God forgave us. Now we ask the question, well, how did God do that? How did God forgive us? Paul says, by canceling, by canceling our debt. Notice verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us. There was a debt that we could never pay, and God canceled it. The debt was incurred because of our sin. Sorry, that Siri here is interrupting my sermon here. She thinks, she thinks I was talking to her. Not talking to Siri, I'm talking to you. There is a debt that we incurred because of sin. And what was that debt? What was the balance owing? Remember, the wage of sin is death, your very life. There was a balance, there was a debt that we could never pay. But what does the hymn writer tell us? Jesus paid it all. That's what Paul's telling us. There was a debt that, that we couldn't pay. And Paul says, God canceled that debt. So if you can imagine a bill, right? A bill you get in the mail and it says at the, at the bottom, you know, balance due or balance owing. And what is there? Well, if the, the one we want to see, we want to see the one with the zero on it. That's our account before God. God has forgiven our sins by canceling our debt, Paul says. Now, how did God do that? How did God go about canceling our debt? Because you see, now, now don't just skip over here to the answer before you realize the immensity of the issue. God is a holy God, and God is just. He is a just judge. Can God be holy and just, and at the same time, just cancel our debt? I mean, some of us might like to think that's the case, but do you see the crisis it creates if God does that? How can a just judge let a heinous criminal 
go free? How can a just and holy God allow crimes, allow sins to go unpunished? You see, he can't. Imagine, imagine a criminal, a heinous criminal being brought in before a judge. And that criminal is sorrowful and uh, even repentant, saying, I wish I never did it. And the judge says, well, with the victims present even, the judge says, well, since you're sorry, we'll let it go. Will we be okay with that? Well, I guess it depends. If we were the criminal, we might be okay with that. But can you imagine how the people, the, the, the people wouldn't stand for a judge like that? A, judge, a just judge can't do that. Sin must be punished. How can a holy and just God cancel the debt owing for guilty sinners? Paul tells us in verse 14. He says, verse 13, he's forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. How did he do that? How, Paul? Nailing it to the cross. Question. Who, what was nailed to the cross on Good Friday? Jesus was nailed to the cross. That's who, who was nailed. It was Jesus who was nailed to the cross. What's Paul saying, though, that Jesus did for us then? All the sins that you and I have ever committed, all of our trespasses, Jesus bore himself when he was nailed to the cross that Good Friday. And when he died, he took, he died your death for you so that you can live. And this is the good news of Good Friday. God has forgiven our sins by canceling our debt, by nailing our debt to the cross. That's why Peter says in 1 Peter 2 and 24 that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He took upon our sin upon himself. He paid the penalty for all of our hidden humanity to each other and our sinfulness and rebellion against God so that we can be forgiven and we can go free and we can have life. Corey Tenboom tells a memorable story from World War II. Of course, if you are familiar with that name, Corey Tenboom, you know that she was a follower of Jesus, someone who loved and followed Jesus. And because of her love for Jesus, her and her family put their lives in the line in order to protect uh, a small group of Jewish people during the Second World War. Um, as the, the Nazi oppressors uh, came into her town and village, they hid these folks in a secret room in a hiding place in their home. And these people were spared. They, they were not found. Their lives were saved. However, Corey Tenboom and her family were rounded up on suspicion of collaborating and were taken to prison. And Corey Tenboom tells the story of being hauled before a person who she describes as her judge. And this person had already interrogated her sister five times and had actually become fond of her sister. Her sister testified to her faith in Jesus before this judge. And this judge, when he called Corey in, commented about her sister's faith. But then she says, he showed me some papers. And she said this, he showed me papers that could mean not only my death sentence, but also the death of my family and friends. You see, on that paper were names and contact information that Corey Ten Boom knew, if confirmed, would mean her death and the death of others. He said to her, can you explain these papers? And she said, no, I can't. And then she says, suddenly and inexplicably, inexplicably, he got up from the table and took those papers and walked over to the stove, opened the door of the, of the wood stove and threw those papers in, and they were instantly burned. And she said this, 
She said, when I saw the flames destroy those condemning papers, I knew I had been guarded by divine power and understood as never before Colossians 2 and 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Jesus took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. You see, that's the good news about Good Friday. Jesus has taken your record of debt and he didn't throw it in the furnace, but he nailed it to the cross. He dealt with it there so we can have the forgiveness of sins. God has obliterated that record of debt that stood against us. He did it that first Good Friday when Jesus died. Forgiven. Your record of debt is canceled. It's set aside through the cross of Jesus Christ. This means, I mean, this means so many glorious things. First of all, it means we're no longer condemned. It means we're justified. It means we're no longer separated or excluded from God, but we're included in his forever family because that which kept us from him is removed, our sin. It also means, friends, that listen, in Jesus, because of Good Friday, when you have Jesus, when you are, have received Jesus, when you're banking on him, when you repent and believe on him, you are loved by God today as much as you will a thousand years from now when you're in heaven and totally perfected. God's, God's love for you today is as strong as it will ever be. You're loved today. And also, you're welcomed today. Your, your welcome today in God is as sure as it will be 10,000 years from now when you are in heaven perfected and in his presence. This, loved ones, is very, very good news. This is the good news of Good Friday that our biggest problem was dealt with by Jesus. It was a dark day in this world, but on that dark day shone a glorious light, the hope of the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. And of course, Jesus didn't stay dead. Yeah, we're, we're on Good Friday today, but we know what's coming on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus and victory over death in the grave, a victory we share with him. Loved ones, the good news of Good Friday is that through Jesus' death, we are made alive. God has forgiven our sins by canceling our debt, our debt of sin, by nailing that debt of sin to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't pause here before concluding and make this very important point. We've considered the good news about Good Friday, but understand this, loved one, my dear friend, listen, you and I must respond to that good news. It's one thing for us to hear the good news. That's vitally important, but the Bible is clear. The scriptures are clear that we must respond to that good news. And the reason it's important for us to respond to that good news is because it's in responding that we take this good news and make it ours. How do we, how do we, because you see, it's, it's not just automatic. You and I must respond. How do we take this forgiveness? How do we get this forgiveness for ourselves? How is it that we get this debt of sin canceled for ourselves? It's wonderful to know that God will do that. It's wonderful to know that people are experiencing that, but I want it for me. I need it for me. How do I get that? Paul tells us just a cup of one verse before where we started today in verse 12. Notice Colossians 2 and verse 12 and what Paul says there. 
He says, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. He's talking about our salvation. This is, this is the, that key word there, faith, is the one I want you to notice. This is, he talks about, again, what's happened to us in our Christian conversion and coming to Jesus. We're buried with him in baptism. Baptism is a picture of what God has done for us. We died with Jesus. We were raised with him through faith. It's faith. It's believing. Jesus said, Mark 1 and 15, the first words he's recorded saying in, God's, in Mark's gospel, repent and believe. You see, when I repent, I repent of my sin. I acknowledge that I'm in the wrong, that I've been going my own way, which has been the wrong way. And when I believe, I, I believe, when I believe, I entrust myself to Jesus. I look away from myself to him. I acknowledge, listen, salvation is this. It's not that I save me, it's that Jesus saves me. Jesus saves. I can't save me. And when we look to Jesus in faith, that's how we take this and make this our own. In fact, I think a great way to express our faith in him is to acknowledge in prayer, just to talk to the Lord and to say, Lord, I have sinned. I, I am this dead person, dead in my trespasses, dead in being separated from you. But Lord Jesus, I believe that on that first Good Friday, you died, and in dying, you've taken my sin upon yourself. Lord, I believe that Jesus has taken my record of debt, that you, God, have taken that record of debt that was against me, and nailed it to the cross that first Good Friday. I believe, and I ask you to save me now. You, you don't have to say those exact words, but I believe a great way to, to sincerely um, uh, declare your faith in the Lord and for you to, to put, a, put a, uh, uh, really a line in the sand, to put a, put a peg in the ground, as it were, to say, today's the day that I'm, I'm receiving Jesus. A great way to do that is to talk to God in prayer. And to tell him, Lord, I need you. Lord Jesus, you died for me. And I'm looking to you today to save me. Loved ones, I want to call you to this. In fact, as I close, I want to call you to three things. First of all, to call you to faith. Will you look away from yourself to Jesus? Remember the, the false teachers in, in Colossae were saying, hey, listen, if you want to save, if you want, if you want life, if you want salvation, you've got to save yourself. Paul says that's fake news. That's fake news. If it was true news, it would be bad news because there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. But the good news of Good Friday is that Jesus died to save us. Will you trust him? I want to call you to faith in him today. Will you declare your faith in him by repenting and believing on him? Second thing I want to call you to is to call you to holiness. Loved ones, being called, being called from death to life is something that, that has to change our lives. In fact, Paul said earlier in Colossians 1, he says that God has done this for us. He has delivered us, for, Colossians 1.13, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. God has taken us from being separated from him to belonging to him. And this has got to mark our lives. In fact, as you read on in Colossians, if you were to read on in chapter 3, you would see that Paul there talks about the kind of moral change, the kind of ethical change, the kind of life change that is evidence of us really knowing Jesus and believing on him. I want to call you to holiness. When you think about what God has done for you, how he set you apart unto himself, 
How can you keep on messing around with sin, loved one? How can you keep doing that? You can't. Maybe today is a day for you to ask yourself, is there an area of my life, is there an aspect of my life in which I am not living under the lordship of Jesus, in which I am not truly living? Ask yourself, is there a part of me that's still walking in deadness? In fact, a great little assignment for you, dear Christian, would be to read Colossians 3, verses 5 to 17, and say, speak, Lord, I am listening. I want to really live for you, and I want to live out this life you've given me. As you read there, Paul will identify some things that we needed to do away with and some things we need to put on and walk in. And Maybe the Lord will show you an area of your life that he wants to bring into line with his will. I want to call you to faith. I want to call you to holiness. And finally, loved ones, I want to call you to worship. Oh, Worship the Lord when you think about what he's done for, for you and me. He's taken us from death and given us life through the death of Jesus. If you're alive and you hear that and you know that, then how can we not worship? In fact, why don't you join with me now? Let's worship the Lord together in this song. We're going to sing together now. The, the, the team's going to lead us in this song called Cornerstone. Let's worship the Lord. And as we do... Let's, let's look to the Lord to refresh our affections and longings and joy in him that he's, through the death of Jesus, he's given us life. Let's worship him now.